I don't know who's calling. I don't have the name on the caller ID. You, like, stop. Like, I can't take your... I'm on the phone with Zach. Stop calling. I don't... I, I will take your call after this interview. Sorry if I'm sounding Are frustrated. Okay, no, I'm not okay. okay. This is where Wisconsin gathers to talk sports. Packers, Brewers, Badgers, Bucks. The Wisco Sports Show is on the air. Here's your host, Grant Bills. Little thought experiment to start the show. Think of your favorite song in the whole wide world. Favorite song. Not the song you'd share with someone if they asked. Like, not the cool song. Uh, it's not my favorite, but it's cool. Like, no, no, no. Your favorite song. If you were all alone, what you would jam out to hardest. Imagine you're driving around, and it comes on the radio. Windows down, volume up. It's just 10 out of 10. That's heaven. There's nothing better, right? Or you're at the club, having a great time, and your song comes on. Grab your drink, run to the dance floor, right? It's awesome. But as you're having a great time listening to your favorite song, you realize there's one problem, right? What's what's the one problem with your favorite song? Every song has this problem. It's too short. It's never enough. Always runs out before you're ready for it to be done. Unless your favorite song is like American Pie or Alice's Restaurant, then, well, you're kind of a psycho, but you still probably think those songs are too short. I think Alex's Restaurant is like 19 minutes long. This is the one problem we have with our favorite song. It's too short. It's always done too soon. Right? The song Married to the Game by Future. One of my favorite songs. It's only two minutes and nine seconds long. Love the song, but I hate how it runs out so quickly. That's how I feel about this Brewer season that we're enjoying. That's how I feel about last night's game, the night before. That's how I feel about this team in the 2021 season. My only complaint about this season is that they're only going to play 162 regular season games. I could watch this team play every day for three years straight. I love watching this team. My only problem is that at some point the season is going to run out. Much like one of my favorite songs, Married to the Game, I have to listen to it on repeat because it's only two minutes long. My one problem with this Brewers season is at some point it's going to end. Last night's game, just another reason why this team this year has been so much fun to watch. It's the Wisco Sports Show. My name is Grant Bills. Not going to listen to any future today. It's a bummer, but we're going to talk a lot about the Brewers. And we're going to talk a little bit about the Packers as well. Mike Clements, our green and gold insider, our Packers insider, our Lambeau Field insider, or whatever. I don't, I've got to ask him if he has a specific title. Our embedded Packers reporter will join us from Green Bay at 5.30 as he joins Ebo and Bill and everybody across the Wisconsin Sports Zone radio network. We'll get connected with him, get his report, get some sound from players and coaches as there were some press conferences today, including Devontae Adams. So we'll see what Mike Clements has cooked up for us. I have some thoughts on the Packers that I want to share with you even without Mike today, but I don't know how to organize them. Just a bunch of random bullet points. So coming up at 4.30, we're going to switch to the Packers and just... One by one by one by one by one. Just a bunch of random. It's not organized all nice and neat into one wholesome conversation with a lead-in and a climax and a clincher. No, it's just a bunch of... We're just going to ramble about the Packers coming up at 4.30 and at 5.30 with Mike Clements. Other than that, a lot of brewers today. You're welcome to be a part of the conversation. 608-796-2558 and Twitter at Wisco Grant. I, I got to say, I, I gotta, before we go any further, kudos to you. To you and you and you. Yesterday, what a performance by the community of the Wisco Sports Show. Callers brought it yesterday. My God. And I guess we have to give some credit to Dave and Monona because I think he got everyone riled up. And then a lot of people called in to attack Dave, which is just fine. I think he relishes that role. But I feel like all the heavy hitters came out yesterday. We heard from just about everybody except from Brett and Lacrosse. What the heck, Brett? Maybe he was at 
Bill Michaels cigar thing last night, or was that Monday? I don't even remember. Maybe Brett was busy. I don't know. But everybody but Brett. That was basically yesterday's show. So I wanted to thank you for that. It's a heck of a performance, and everybody was chiming in, and that made the show a lot of fun yesterday. We even got a couple of texts. It was like, this is great. Everybody's calling today, and we're all going back and forth. Probably talk too much about Food Network, but that's a good problem, in my opinion. So thank you for yesterday. Whether or not that continues today, we'll always have yesterday to think about. You're welcome to join in 608-796-2558. Dan and, uh, Dan and Madison already chiming in. Richie in Eau Claire says, nice reference. I love Alice's Restaurant. Yeah, you got to listen to it every Thanksgiving. Uh, Arlo Guthrie. It's about 14 minutes too long, but it's a good song. And it's a tradition. You got to listen to it on Thanksgiving every single year. Thanks for the tweet, Richie, at Wisco Grant. Figured we'd start off today talking about the new Packers jerseys inspired by the 1950s. No? No? I would rather eat a lampshade than start today's show talking about the Packers' new jerseys. We're going to talk about them, but not for another half hour. We got to start with the Brewers because last night was one of the best Brewer games of the season, certainly the best game in a couple of months, and it's a game that I'm not going to forget anytime soon. Brewers won last night. The Reds lost yesterday, so the Brewers are now up nine and a half games in the division in the NL Central, and they're 27 games over 500, 2-7 as in seven more than 20 and three less than 30. 27 games over 500. In regulation, or in regular innings, before we got to extra innings, homer from Avi Garcia early in the game and in the ninth, a homer from Adamas, and then in extra innings, the Cardinals started to melt down a little bit. Oh, you really hate to see that. Some clutch hitting from Yelich and from Peterson, because of course Jace Peterson got involved. Tuesday, so two days ago, The Brewers jumped out to an early lead against the Cardinals, and then they held on, right? They got that 2-0 lead over Wainwright, and they had other opportunities to score, but they couldn't cash in. But Burns was great, and then we had the the 1-2-3 punch of Boxberger, Box guy, Williams, and Hayter going 7-8-9, closing the game out. That's a traditional way to win a baseball game. Maybe not via shutout, but you get a lead, you ride your starter as long as you can, and then you go your three best relievers, bam, 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 7-8-9, or, you know, 8-9, or just nine, however long the starter goes, you fill those back innings with your best relievers. That's what they did on Tuesday. Last night's game, completely different. They stole last night's game, 100%. In the top of the ninth, the Cardinals had a win probability of 92%. Cardinals let it slip away. Hate to see that. Don't you feel bad seeing that happen to the Cardinals? That's it's a bummer. I almost couldn't sleep last night. I almost couldn't eat. Felt so bad about it. It was all torn up. Christian Yelich said after the game, it was one of their best wins of the season. And I think I agree. I don't know if this is their most improbable win of the season. I think it might be one of their most impressive. And I think it might be one of the wins that makes you think, oh, okay, well, this team could actually win in the postseason and win in the World Series. There's a lot of impressive games. Like if the Brewers win a game 15 to 12, that's fun. Look at all the offense. Wow, the offense made it happen. Last night's game, I think, is is an example Last night is, is a little bit of a, a study on why this Brewers team is more complete than in the last couple of years and why I think their best chance to go deep into the postseason and maybe make a World Series might be this season. Not last year, not 2019, not 2018, but this season. I think Christian Yelich agrees. I think Craig Council probably agrees. They said that after the game, and we'll hear from them in a little bit. Let me explain why I feel this way after watching last night's game. I think the most damning thing that you can say about a sports team in any sport in any league The most damning thing you can say about a sports team is that a team finds ways to lose. You're saying that about a team. That's, ooh, that's not not great. Not good. 
probably one of the worst things you can say about a team. The Brewers were perpetrators of this back in May. I've referenced this series and this game a couple of times. Remember that two-game set against the Royals way back in May? Avi Garcia got thrown out in the ninth inning. Council got tossed. And it was a big, big Donnybrook. It was a big mess, the whole two-game series. So was our second two-game series against the Royals, but they were playing a lot better at that point, and we just didn't, we didn't care as much, to be honest, because those two losses to the Royals a couple weeks ago were tucked in between so many wins. May 19th, it was a Wednesday night game. Kansas Skitty, Kansas Skitty, scores six runs on seven hits. It's like the, the Kansas City's pouring in runs. They had a, a bunt single that scored a run and a walk that scored a run and a little bloop single to shallow right. And they had a homer and they had a hit here and there, but it was the, the BS, the sloppy defense and the inability to turn outs on ground balls. And Kansas City was just scoring, scoring, scoring. It wasn't pretty. But at this juncture of the season, in late May, Milwaukee was finding ways to lose. Not good. Not good. The Packers, in NFC Championship games, really for a decade, have found ways to lose. Fake field goal. Yep, we got it. Onside kick. Yep, that too. Fumble on the five-yard line. Multiple times. On both ends of the field. Right? Aaron Ripkowski against Atlanta going into the end zone. Aaron Jones this past February going out of his own end zone. Like, yes, they're all there. Best wide receiver drops a touchdown. Shout out Devontae Adams. Yep, you got it. Finding ways to lose. And I think that's one of the most damning things you can say about any sports team. It's like telling your significant other, gentlemen, like when you're mad at your girlfriend or your wife, well, now you sound like my mother. Okay, pack it up. That's it. <laughs> Give her a, you're sleeping on the couch. Then you're sleeping in the garage. Go sleep in the car. You can't say that. Or you can't tell your girlfriend or your wife, well, you sound like my mother. Nope, that's not going to fly. It's uh, scorched earth, as scorched earth gets. Very similar to, to saying about your team, oh, they just find ways to lose. It's not something you want to be saying about one of your favorite teams. Inversely, I think the most complimentary thing you can say about a team is that a team finds ways to win, right? And that's what the Brewers did last night. I think if you say, oh, this team just finds ways to win, these are a really good team, really good team. Not only have a great roster and they're healthy and they're well-managed, but they also just have something in the fiber of the team. The combination of players and the chemistry and the timing is all coming together when a team finds ways to win. And that's what the Brewers did last night. Think of all the factors they were up against. And I retweeted last night a tweet from my buddy Hunter Baumgart, who now does radio up in Rhinelander, in the Northwoods. He tweeted this, at Hunter B on air. What the Brewers face tonight, colon. You know I love a good list of bullet points. Peralta gives up three runs and exits in the third inning. Manager and all-star catcher ejected. Down to final two outs, umpiring. That sums it up pretty cleanly. How the Brewers overcame these things. Game-tying home run with one out in the ninth. Three runs with two outs in the tenth. And Hunter says, that's what great teams do. I'm like, hey, this is a great tweet. I'm going to retweet it. I'm going to go to bed. Because I couldn't figure out what to say. If I ever start retweeting a bunch of things, that's because I need to make my presence known on Twitter. I'm like, "Ah, I'm watching. I'm a part of this. But I don't have any original thoughts. I thought Hunter hit the nail on the head. That's why I retweeted it. Brewers last night found ways to win. Losing Narvaez, your all-star catcher. Huge offensive piece in the middle of that lineup. Sucks. Losing Council. Sucks. He's a fantastic manager. And the umping was so bad last night. I was looking at the ump scorecard, right? The overall accuracy of called strikes was about 92%, which seems really good until you realize how many pitches are thrown in a game and then how many calls you need to miss to drop for 100 to 92%. In fact, there were so many bad calls that the overall change in probability of the game, the umpires added about plus 0.6 expected runs for the Cardinals last night. So more than half a run. The Cardinals were kind of 
booing. And the Cardinals weren't happy with the umps either. Like, Arenado struck out twice on a check swing. I don't think either one was a strike. And he got he got thrown out on the second one because he was so ticked. The umpiring was terrible. It was terrible for both sides, but I think it led to more expected offense for the Cardinals. I think it was it was more damning for the Brewers, and they were able to overcome it. And really, the umping and the ejections and all that stuff we just mentioned, I think those were all tertiary, tertiary factors in the game last night. Think about Freddie Peralta. The Brewers' stud starting pitcher left after two innings, down 3-0. He, Brett Anderson, he's like, I'm hurt, I'm done, I'm out, I'm gone. 99% of the time, that shoots the game straight to hell. If your starting pitcher gets hurt in the first, second, or third, you're not going to win. I would love to see the win probability for teams in which starting pitcher unexpectedly exits in the second or the third. It's got to be terrible. It can't be high at all because you just don't win games like that. You, you throw your entire game plan out. Now you're, you're warming up bullpen guys who aren't expecting to go in or you're bringing in pitchers that just aren't very high quality. You just need to eat so many innings. And yet the Brewers are able to get it done, cover all these innings and hold the Cardinals at three runs and eventually, slowly but surely, three solo shots later and some creative offense in extra innings. Let's call it creative. Taking advantage of some Cardinals mistakes and also being opportunistic like a bunt from Christian Yelich. They're able to come back and win a game that really they had no business winning. And you just hate to see it happen against the Cardinals because I feel so bad for the for the Cardinals. Post game, I referenced this earlier. Christian Yelich said this might have been one of our best wins of the season. Uh, I mean, it's up there. It, it might it might be one of our our best ones of the season just because everybody contributed. The bullpen covered, I think, what maybe seven innings tonight. They all threw up zeros. Uh, we were able to chip away as an offense because some guys just probably hit two homers. We were able to tack on there in, in extra innings and get three. It's important to get that first one in extras. You know, with the guy in second, but um, those games kind of seem to be decided by who can push across uh, an additional run or two. So for us to be able to do that um, was big. But great team win and fun to be a part of. The offense was impressive. Don't get me wrong. The three solo shots, especially Avi Garcia, just deciding to hit two. God, I love Avi Garcia. And shout out to Ken at Jamie's Barber Shop the resident Avi Garcia believer, all the way, go back two years, he was believing in Avi Garcia. Shout out Ken. (laughs) Well, shout out Jamie, but Ken's Barbershop as a whole. Always preaching Avi Garcia on the north side. Yes. Remember two years ago, he's like, Avi's going to be really good. It took a year, but he's having a career year when it comes to producing runs and especially hitting with power. He was huge. Adamas, of course, hit a solo shot because they needed a solo shot. That's what he does. And then in extras, scoring on a wild pitch. Single from Jace Peterson, a bunt single from Christian Yelich, and some really good base running. The offense was impressive, but what really blows me away is that the bullpen covered seven innings and held the Cardinals to three runs. Got all the way through the ninth. Freddie Peralta exited after the second, so you got to cover all these innings. I didn't think in a million years that the Brewers' bullpen would be able to do that. Not because the Brewers' bullpen is bad, but it takes everything going right for the bullpen to shut out a team for that span of innings because not one guy can have a bad night, right? Last night would have gone to hell if Hunter Strickland had a bad outing. He didn't. Or Jake Cousins, who was great. Or Brent Suter, who was excellent. Or Sanchez, who was good. Norris, finally. We love to see that. And then Hader and Williams stepped up at the end when the game got close. Not one of those guys had a night off, a bad night. The odds of that are pretty tremendous. It just wasn't a very likely win for the Brewers last night. They found a way to win, and that's what competitive contending teams do. That's why I think that win is so impressive. This was also a Mount Rushmore game for me. Like You get to the end of the Brewers season, you think, ah, which which games were the most memorable? Which do I remember out of the 162 that were played? Three come to mind. That's one last night, and then the other two all the way back Saturday, May 5th, 
when Travis Shaw walked it off in extras against L.A. That was a Saturday night. Oh, I'll never forget this. No balls, two strikes. Shaw, right field, down, base hit. Feliciano around third. That's his throw, and it's over. The Brewers win. Travis Shaw wins it for Milwaukee. I was so irresponsible with my choices after that game. A Brewer game like that on a Saturday night? Stop, stop. Good decisions are not being made. That's one of the three best wins of the year, I think, the three most memorable games. The other one, Wednesday, June 30th, I can't believe that this game was well over a month ago now. I, it did not make me feel good when I realized that today. Down 7 nothing to the Cubs after one inning and then coming back and winning 15-7, to including a grand slam from, of course, Willie Adams. Two outs, bases loaded. Here is Adamas. Adamas in the air, right center. Ball's hit well. Marisnik on the run, and it is up and out. It's a grand slam. The first of the year for the Brewers. Willie Adamas again, and this ballpark is lit up. I probably would have been lit up during that game, too, except it was a Wednesday afternoon, and uh, I was at work. I think those were the two best wins up until last night, and then we get the Christian Yelich bunt. So let me have it. Yep, bunting worked. We'll talk more about that coming up next. We'll talk pitching as well. Packers coming up at 430. I promise. More of the Wisco Sports Show after this. And Yelich shows bunt, gets it down. It's a beauty. Coming in Sosa. Throw to first. Not in time. A bunt single and an RBI by Yelich. It is 5-3 Milwaukee. This is the Wisco Sports Show with Grant Bills on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. It definitely goes to, to the top of the list or close to the top of the list for sure. It was just a great team effort more than anything. So many guys did stuff. Every every guy in the bullpen just was incredible tonight, you know, in, in a tough circumstance. But to hold them scoreless, uh, you know, really the rest of the way, it, it was, was pretty special. It's... show I think a Mount Rushmore Brewers win last night get to the end of the regular season and you sit down and you're like okay which games do I actually remember as the classics that's one of them unless they play like a million really cool games in the next month I guess but as of right now that game is certainly on the list with the Cubs game where they scored 15 unanswered and then that Dodgers walk off in May We're starting to put together a nice little catalog here of signature 2021 Brewers wins oh they yeah, they're 27 games over 500 so they have a uh, a lot of wins to choose from. My name is Grant Bills. You can hit me up on Twitter at Wisco Grant, and you can call and text the show at 608-796-2558 as Nick does. Hello, Nick. How are you? Grant, how are you? I am fantastic because the Brewers are 27 games over 500, and I would oh, rather talk about them than, uh, than training camp, so I'm happy. Yeah, anything better than talk about than training camp. It's kind of yes, boring. it is. Um, you know, the Brewers win last night. It was great. Um, you know, upsetting to watch the umpiring. That was really pathetic. Mm-hmm. Um, both ways, really. I mean, like you said, the Cardinals kind of got some both jobs, too. Um, I didn't think those check swings were swings. And nope. uh, the strike zone was about, you know, six feet by six feet. Um, my call is in, more in regards to the extra innings on the Brewers' part. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they flashed an interesting stat last night that the Brewers were 9-8 and eight in extra innings. And... That's really concerning considering that we've got one of the best back-end bullpens with – I'm terrible with names. Is it Williams? Williams and Hayter. Yeah. 
Yeah. So here's my question. When you go into the ninth inning, why do you have Hater pitch and then Williams close it? Why not have Williams pitch the ninth and Hater close it? Why do they always do this? Mm-hmm. It, it blows my mind. You know, you put Williams in a position that he's not used to in closing. Like, if it's not working, try something different. Nine Now, 10 and 8 is not a really good number when you see something, you know, the Cardinals were they're now 5 and 2. It's like, you know, percentage-wise, 10 and 8 is not that very attractive for, over, for extra innings. No. I wonder, and Nick, like, what... I wonder what the average record in extra innings is. And I'm trying to find it here, and I don't think it's something I'm going to be able to quickly, like, pull up on Google. But, like, Yeah, I, you know me. I, I, I love stats. I, yeah. I, I'm not calling with that one this time. Yeah, sorry. I, I don't know if I'm going to be able to find it either because I don't know what to compare that to. You said they were 9-8. and eight. Is that what you said you saw on the broadcast yeah, last night? Yeah, the, the number, yeah, they flashed 9-8 and eight going into extra innings last night. It's obviously now 10-8. and eight, But, yeah. you know, they, they have a history, you know, all offseason of always pitching – Hater in the ninth when it's tied, and then Williams in the tenth. And and I just don't get that. Why put Williams in a position where he's forced to close? And obviously he gave up a run last night, and yeah. you know it, it was starting to get a little dicey there. But in the end, it worked out. But you know, at, at ten and eight, they could be doing way better. I mean, even if they flipped half of those losses, yeah. you know, they'd be they'd be right there with the Giants right now. They they would have a tied record. That's it. It's all, you know, it, it's not that hard to figure out that if it ain't working, fix it. If it, it if it's not working, or excuse me, if it's if it's working, don't fix it. Um, it ain't broke, don't fix it. that whole philosophy. Go. This is broken. This is broken. Ten and eight is broken to me. Hmm. So don't use haters so soon. I actually, I, I have nothing to dispel this. I have no grounds to argue with you on this. I think if you can use Williams in the ninth to save Hater for extras, I'm all about that. Absolutely, especially the way Hater strikes out guys. Mm-hmm. Because with that runner starting on second base, like you want your best strikeout guys out there. Yeah, you don't want them to move them over. Yeah, you know, exactly. And you know, I, I'm, of course, I'm sitting here being an armchair, armchair coach, but you know, that's just my two cents. Oh, I appreciate the call. Thanks, Nick. Take care. Also, like I'm an armchair coach for two hours every day, so nobody ever feel bad about being an armchair coach. It's literally my job. If it was illegal, I would be unemployed. By the way, I should point out, Nick, that Williams gave up that runner or that run in the 10th inning, an unearned run, mind you, because that runner starts at second base. So if that runner comes across, but that's the only run to score, it's counted as unearned. And I checked that in the box score because I want to make sure I had that right. I actually, I can't argue with you here, Nick. I don't know. It's, it's, it's tough to have foresight like that, right? Because when they get to the ninth inning, right, Avi Garcia hits the home run. And I think using Hater in the ninth is a means to make sure the game goes to extra innings. Right? It's like, well, if Williams needs to pitch in the 10th, that's a good problem to have because that means we cleared the bottom of the ninth and we were able to get it to extra innings. The, the what do you say, 9-8 and eight or now 10-8 and eight in extra innings? That's a really interesting number because you want your team to be, you know, well above 500 in just about any statistic. My one, and I'm really going to try to find this over the next commercial break, I want to know every team's record in extra innings because I don't know what's good. I don't have a point of reference for that stat. But they do have a great back end of the bullpen. We would like to see their situational hitting be a little bit better, and I think that would help in extra innings too. That was an issue early in the year. We saw how great it was last night, especially if Yelich can drop down a surprise bunt. Yeah, I like this. I like this. We're talking about some some critical points, some nitpicks in extra innings. Richie in Eau Claire. Richie, how are you today? What's going on? See, I was just listening. I wasn't even going to call in today, and now Nick got me all fired up because I completely disagree. Mm. Okay. <laughs> Hit me. 
if, if, if Hader doesn't pitch there and you put Williams or whoever else in that role before and they give up a run, it doesn't matter. There is no 10th inning. Yeah. You put your best guy out there in that situation to make sure that no runs are scored so you even get an opportunity to come out in the 10th inning and try to win the game. And then you put up three runs and, you know, like you said, Williams gave up a run that didn't even matter. Like, you know, it was an unearned run, so in extra innings, you're, you're likely to give up a hit anyways. I just – I may not be making a whole lot of sense right now because I was really fired up, man. <laughs> no, I, I – just, I just completely disagree with that take. And I think that's what I said, too. I think you use Hater in the ninth to make sure there's a tenth, right? You, you deal with the tenth when it comes around. And at some point this season, especially when Williams is hurt, right, the Brewers were having to use Suter in the 10th and the 11th. And I like Brent Suter, yeah. and I think you do too. Yeah. You have you have the Suter t-shirt, Jay, right? We had this conversation right. earlier this week. But he's not yeah. your ideal high-leverage reliever. So I think maybe some of those statistics would be a little bit better. The record in extras would be a little bit better if they had their full complement of of back-end arms, which earlier in the year they didn't have, right, because Williams is Right, and, and, you know, so if, you, if the only run you give up is an unearned run, and that's how you lose, you know, that's in that pitcher's fault. And if you're talking about, you know, Nick said something about, you. well, you want your strikeout guy. Okay, well, if you're going to argue against Suter, that one I can, you know, that one I can, I can kind of go along with because yeah. he isn't a strikeout guy. He is the the uh, out or you know contact out kind of guy. Mm-hmm. But Devin Williams is just as much a strikeout guy as Josh Hader is. Yeah. So that argument doesn't hold water either. And I, I thought it was perfectly handled. You put Hader on there to give you a chance to even have a tenth inning like that, and then you let Williams finish the job, which he did. Yeah, I mean, I think, especially knowing you have a three-run cushion, you you don't have to worry about Molina putting that run across as long as you take care of business. And I think that cushion also probably had Council feeling a little bit more confident about whoever was in the 10th. But, no, I agree. And, yeah. Richie, I got to give you credit. You said you're all fired up. You sound composed and as sharp as ever. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> well, and then I know I tweeted it, and I don't know if you even got to it yet, so I'll just say it since I'm on here. But I am, I've usually been with you on the bunt thing, you know, mm-hmm. and this last night, this was an unexpected bunt. So yes. this doesn't even fit into the same argument that people are trying to go against you with. The only reason this worked is because it was completely unexpected and, you know, it scored a run. But, you know, nobody thought that Christian Yelich, of all people, even with the year he's having, was going to be dropping down a bunt in that situation. No, I agree. I think that's the perfect context to talk about this bunt is it's a surprise. And every once in a while, a surprise bunt can really work wonders, especially when the gold glove third baseman isn't a third because he got ejected. I think that made a huge difference, too. And Yelich talked Absolutely. about that after the game. Thank you for, for being moved emotionally to call in and, and speak your piece, Richie. I appreciate you. Thanks. Yeah, thanks for motivating me, Nick. <laughs> of course. Thank you, Nick. Thank you, Richie. The caller interaction this week has just been stellar. We were going to talk about the Packers coming up next, but now I don't want to. Let's do that right before 5 o'clock. We have more to talk about this extra innings thing and comparing Williams and Hayter. I'm going to dig up some stats, and we can build on this conversation a little bit about how maybe the Brewers can be a little bit more watertight in extra innings. That's coming up next. More of the Wisco Sports Show after this. This is the Wisco Sports Show with Grant Bills on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Wisco Sports Show. My name is Grant Bills. I was planning to start talking about the Packers right now, um, but we don't have to because this Brewers conversation is excellent, and I don't want to stop. I'm in love, and I don't care who knows it. Brewers are 27 over, 9.5 up in the division. Thank the Chicago Cubs for that. Beating the Reds the last two days. We'll get to the Packers soon enough. A couple of things to mention, then we'll get connected with Mike Clements, our green and gold insider for the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. He'll join us at 535. You're welcome to call and text. Join the Brewers conversation. We're doing the extra innings thing. 
how to best win in extra innings, maybe picking some nits here. 608-796-2558 and Twitter at Wisco Grant. A couple of stats that I was hoping we could uh, finesse here. And one was extra inning record because Nick in Madison called in. He said, all right, Grant, Brewers are great. And I love the Brewers and they're winning a lot, but they're not that good in extra innings. They're 10 and eight in extra innings after last night. And they should be better. They have great back-end relievers, this and that. They should be better. I said, hmm, maybe you're right. I'm not sure because I don't know what the extra inning record looks like for the rest of the league. We need to chew on this a little bit. Nick also said, why use Hader in the ninth? Save Hader for the tenth. Use Williams in the ninth. Okay, okay. So we're, we're getting some talking points thrown around. Richie disagreed. We have a couple of others that disagree. And I think the reason that Hader gets used in the ninth and everybody seems to agree this was my idea right when Nick brought it up to about 20 minutes ago. You use Hader in the ninth to make sure there's a 10th inning, right? Because if you try to get cute and save Josh Hader in the bullpen for the 10th or for the 11th, well, there might not be your 10th or an 11th, right? And Devin Williams is great too. I, you know, I don't think there's much drop-off right now from Josh Hader to Devin Williams. Now, I would put my eggs in the Josh Hader basket. I would bet Josh Hader if I needed to put my money behind one reliever, but I, the difference between him and Williams, look, it's not like we're dealing with Josh Hader and Mitch Stetter here or Trevor Hoffman and Todd Coffey. Like, they're 1A and 1B. I don't think you're going to go wrong with either. And I think where, where Nick is maybe frustrated, I think they use Hader in the ninth to make sure there's a 10th inning. And Devin Williams is no slouch either. Uh, let's compare Devin Williams and Josh Hader, and then we have some stats relative to the rest of the league on what's actually good in extra innings. Uh, Zach and Wisco tweeted him in. I don't have a producer, and Zach's like, well, I'll handle this just real quick. Let me tweet this in. I'm actually kind of blown away by some of these numbers, so I'm glad Zach got these to us on Twitter, at Wisco Grant. First, talking about extra innings and which pitcher you would want to use in extras, and it's important to remember this year and last year, I guess. I don't know if this is going to continue or not. Runner starts on second base. So ideally, you want your best strikeout pitcher on the mound. I wouldn't want a Brett Anderson type, ground ball guy. Well, what if a ground ball gets through the infield? Well, that's going to score a run, even if nobody's put on base because the runner automatically starts on base. Also important to remember last night in the box scoring, for those of you keeping score at home, following along at home, uh, that run that Devin Williams gave up on the Adier Molina single, just unearned. Because if that run comes across to score, it's unearned because the pitcher didn't put that runner there. It's not Devin Williams' fault that that runner started at second base. So we can say, oh, Williams gave up a run. Well, he struck two guys out. He did give up the one hit, but the run he surrendered wasn't earned, right? In normal circumstances, he would have pitched a, a clean inning, a shutout inning, and that's reflected in the scorebook. I also love that out of the 18 pitches that Williams threw in that 10th inning, 13 of them were strikes, which is exactly how you should approach that inning, knowing that you're up three runs. Even if you give up a single and bring home that run, fine, fine. That, that run doesn't matter. You're indifferent defensively to that run but you can't give up two, three, four. And that happens when you start messing around, walking guys. And Williams just came in and started pounding the strike zone, which is exactly what he needed to do. Now, on the front of striking guys out and being clean and working clean in extra innings, here's the numbers we're dealing with. And when you compare Williams and Hayter, not a world of difference. Look at strikeouts per nine innings. So the frequency with which Williams and Hayter are striking out batters. Because total strikeouts on the season, I don't know what to do with this. Like if we're talking about total strikeouts, in the year 2021, the season 2021 so far, Devin Williams has 70 strikeouts. Does that mean anything to you? Does that help us here? I don't I don't think so. Ooh, 70. It's a nice number, right? It's a couple dozen. Uh, Hater strikeouts this year. Uh, how many does he have? He has 68. 
So they're comparable. Devin Williams has appeared in, let's see here. Devin Williams has appeared in 48 games. Josh Hader has appeared in 35. I wouldn't have guessed that, actually. That's interesting. Oh, I'm looking at the wrong year. Never mind. That's 2017. Josh Hader in 2021 has pitched in 44 games. Devin Williams in 2021 has pitched in 48. So pretty comparable. The strikeout numbers total are pretty comparable. The strikeouts per nine innings. So we're talking about strikeout frequency. And that's really what we want in that 10th inning. How many guys can you sit down via the strikeout so we're not risking one single that brings that runner home or a ground ball to the right side and then a sack fly, right? It's pretty easy if you're giving up contact to all of a sudden surrender that run, that runner that starts on second base, which is why I want to look at strikeouts per nine innings. Devin Williams in 2021 is striking out 14.2 guys per nine innings. His career best was last year, 17.7. That's nuts. And we remember that. They were always bringing that up on broadcast. It's like, oh, Devin Williams, the, the frequency in which he's striking out guys is historical. 14.2 is still really good. It's just that 17 and a half is stupid. So 14.2 strikeouts per nine innings. This year, Josh Hader in 2021 is 15. So Hader's striking out guys with a higher frequency. Hader is still your preferred reliever. He's still the better reliever, but they're still both really good, and they still both strike out a lot of hitters. So Nick's concern that they're not using Hader and extras and they're using Williams instead, I don't know that it makes a huge amount of difference. And I do think there's something to be said for consistency. Josh Hader is used to pitching in the ninth. If you start using him in the 10th and the 11th, he's still probably fine, but it might be easier to just continue to use him in that same role. Baseball players are creatures of habit, as most professional athletes are. And if you can keep that habit intact as much as possible, I think that benefits everybody. Hurts nobody. Benefits everyone. Extra inning record. This is what Zach tweeted, and I'm fascinated by this list. The Brewers are 10-8. and eight. Let's look at some of these other contenders. San Francisco, the Dodgers, the Tampa Bay Rays. Nick didn't love the 10-8 and eight record. Well, it's way better than the Dodgers. The Dodgers are 3-12 and 12 in extra innings. Tampa Bay is 5-10. and 10. San Fran is 8-7. and seven. Do you know the best team in the league in extra innings? It's the Seattle Mariners, who stink. They're not good at all. And this is why I wanted the full list, because on its face, 10-8 and eight or 9-8 and eight before last night might not seem great, especially for a Brewers team with a great back end of the bullpen. But relative to the other contenders, especially in the National League, I'd take that over 3-12. and 12 with the Dodgers, and I think a big reason for some of those uh, extra innings losses, right, Devin Williams wasn't healthy for a lot of this year. So the Brewers do have a great back end of the bullpen now. I wouldn't say great. I'd say pretty good. They have two great arms. Other than that, you know, see what you get from Boxberger. Suter can step up to the occasion sometimes, but he's also due for a bad outing here and there. A lot of the year, Devin Williams wasn't available or wasn't available at this high of a level. So now I think if they're if they're finding themselves routinely in extra inning games, you're going to see them winning more because they have that other elite arm to go to. Hayter and Williams are pretty interchangeable, and they do a lot of the same things. We were just looking at some of those strikeout numbers and the frequency with which they strike out batters, which is really important in extra innings, given those runners are starting on second base. If you're trying to prevent that guy from getting home, you can't be giving up ground balls, sack flies, because that runner's going to move over, and all of a sudden he can score. You don't even need to surrender a hit, and all of a sudden the opposing team is putting a run on the board. Also, I just prefer my team to not play in extra innings. Like, the fewer games in extras, the fewer games you need to win in extras, fine. I'll take it. And, like, another instance. This is just a week and a half ago, so it's all fresh on our brain. They ended up losing that game to the Giants in extras because Avi Garcia couldn't catch a fly ball. And every outfielder's allowed a mistake here and there. It happens. It's unfortunate. But that game never goes to extras if Avi Garcia just pulls down a routine fly ball. 
I don't know if that extra inning loss then becomes some referendum on Craig Council or some referendum on the Brewers and what they're doing. That's just bad luck. And in close games, how many times have we talked about this season? Close games decided by one run. There's a lot of luck that goes into it. So I don't know that I want to assign too much value at all to, to extra inning record. Although you like to see your team execute and do the little things to, to get runs across in extras, a lot of it's up to luck too, especially with that runner starting at second base. Let's take a break. We can kind of put a cap on this project or this discussion, and then we can start a new project. Let's talk about the Packers coming up next. Wisco Sports Show back after this. This is the Wisco Sports Show with Grant Bills on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Now, a training camp update. In Green Bay, here's Mike Clemens. The Packers and the Jets joint practices are underway. There was some pushing and shoving, but no fights on the field. Packers safety, Adrian Amos. Nothing happened, nothing happened. We, we, out, we out there playing ball. Um, you know, nothing gets started, nothing happens. And uh, we practice hard, play hard. You know, we're not out there to fight. The new defensive back, Isaac Yadam, is in camp after being traded for Josh Jackson. Yadam has been with the Broncos, the Giants, and now the Packers in just the past year. It's my second time getting traded, so it's not that shocking to me right now. Like, I know how to adjust to it. I played in a couple different systems. I played with Vance Joseph when he drafted me in Denver. I played with Vic Fangio in Denver. I played with Pat Graham in New York and here. So at the end of the day, it's just playing football. So whatever it is that I need to do to help the team win, that's what I'm going to do. Packers receiver Devin Funches was making some nice catches, but has been plagued with leg cramps and had to be carted off the field. Aaron Rodgers talked about the battle at wide receiver. I mean, there's five guys who probably have a you know spot sewed up, and I'm not sure if we're going to keep six, keep seven. Do we keep two quarterbacks or three quarterbacks? It allows for extra spots at some of those places. If it is six, there's a lot of guys in the mix. Packers head coach Matt Lafleur on why he brought the Jets into camp. I just think it's great from a competition standpoint to go out there and, and compete against somebody else and see, kind of see where you stack up. And these guys get sick of hitting each other every day, the same guys. And you kind of, throughout practice, you get such a familiarity with who you're going up against. So it, it's nice just to kind of see a different face in front of you, a different technique, a different system. Best Packers coverage. Mike Clements in Green Bay. Appreciate that, Mike. It's the Wisco Sports Show. My name is Grant Bills. Mike should be with us at about 535. At least that's what we agreed upon at the beginning of the week. I texted him earlier today. I'm like, hey, Mike, what's going on? 530 good? And I think he's busy doing actual work, unlike me, because he hasn't got back to me yet. But we'll get connected with him, I'm sure, at 535. Here's some cuts. Talk about what happened to camp, including some injuries today. Not for the Packers, but for the Jets. So you keep your fingers crossed that that doesn't hit the Packers roster too at some point before now in the beginning of the regular season. We just did 50 minutes straight on the Brewers, which was a blast and a half. And we're going to get back into the Brewers, talk about last night's game, which is a classic and will be remembered as such at the end of the year. We'll get back into that at five o'clock. A few news and notes, a few news, a few newsworthy things and noteworthy things on the Packers. I didn't really have one big thing with the Packers today. Because when I, I started putting the show together this morning, and I normally type out, like, all of the segments. Like, all right, 4, we're going to do this, 4.20, 4.35, 4.50. And I just put a label, like, all right, what's the headline? And then we'll, we'll write the rest of the show later. At 4.35, I wrote, and I quote exactly, some big Packers thing. And I never came up with one big thing, but there's a bunch of little things or medium things. We have new jerseys now. 
Packers released them earlier today. They're like all green with yellow accents and numerals, and the helmet is just solid gold. It's kind of like a play on what the Packers wore in the 1950s. A little modern twist on a classic. I don't know. See what kind of description the pro shop puts up. Maybe they'll have it. I'll check over this break, and we can see what the reviews say or see what's the description. Probably something like, a play on the Packers' 1950s jerseys. These are sure to please both the traditional and modern fan alike. Some salesman. Packers Pro Shop is working overtime today. I don't know that I love or hate these. I, I'm, I'm not sure. They look kind of like the Vikings jerseys or the Bears jerseys just with Packers colors. They're cool. Different jersey. It'll be fun. I'm not going to poo-poo that. I think these jerseys just show how awesome the Packers' normal jerseys are. They might never need to change those. They're just crisp. They just look good. I think the best jersey combo in all of sports is the Cowboys' home whites with the silver pants playing against the Packers' home greens with the yellow pants. It just hops off the TV when those two teams play with those two jersey combos. Oh, it's just so aesthetically pleasing. It's beautiful. And I don't know if the Packers ever need to modernize or switch up their jerseys. They're just classics. And I know they have this alternate that they're allowed now, and they're, it's kind of a throwback, but kind of a modern version of the throwback, and it's all green. Cool, I'm not, I'm not poo-pooing it. Because there's some people that would get on their radio show today and be like, these jerseys suck, oh, they're so dumb. Well, who cares? They're fun. It's meant to be fun. So I'm not going to turn this into a referendum on the stylistic design of these new jerseys. But I think these jerseys just go to show, yeah, you know what? They're, they're probably just about perfect the way they are. We can tweak and have fun, but God, those normal jerseys are just perfect. And I don't know if they ever need to be changed, at least not anytime soon. Talking a little bit about joint practices today as well. Something else that's probably worth mentioning. I wanted to ask this to Zach yesterday, and I think we ran out of time because I probably started talking about something dumb and we got off track. I've always been a little confused as to why players hate joint practices. I, I, maybe I'm naive to think that they'd be fun. Maybe that's me being super naive. I don't know. Maybe they are productive. I found this Aaron Rodgers quote about the Houston joint practices two years ago because I don't, I don't think there was joint practices last year with COVID. Am I, am I misremembering? I think it was two years ago when they practiced with Houston. And Rodgers had this quote, and I guess this is kind of illustrative. This kind of made it clear to me. He said, I think my issue was more, we had a red zone period, and they dropped eight a bunch of times in a row. And there's not a lot of work to be accomplished in that situation. If you look at my career in the red zone, dropping eight has not been something that's worked out very well for defenses. So I don't think that would be in the plan for them. And it was just clouding everything up, and I just thought it was a total waste of a period. I, I mean, I guess. Maybe Rodgers and other players feel as though their version of practice is most productive for them, so why invite other people in? Why mess it up? I don't know. Iron sharpens iron. I, I think that expression is a little overused, and I don't know if it's true, but it's really fun to say and, and lecture people with. Iron sharpens iron, Aaron Rodgers. Shut up about the Texans dropping eight in the red zone. But I get it. Sometimes too many cooks in the kitchen, it, it doesn't make the meal any better. And I'm sure you've had this experience in your job, too. We had a switch in our weekly schedule a couple of months ago when we had some managers switch spots and kind of our meeting schedule throughout the week changed. So what it used to be was every station in our building, we have six, every station in our building would have a meeting on Monday. And then we had a, a grand poobah programmer meeting on Tuesday. So we'd all do our individual thing on Monday and then we'd all have a meeting together on Tuesday. And what was happening was we were addressing whatever needed to be addressed on Monday. And then Tuesday, a bunch of people were just sitting in a Zoom with the thumb up their butt is like, well, what do we even talk about? We did this yesterday. So we got rid of the Tuesday meetings. Now we have our individual Monday meetings. We get everything done that we need to. And now we don't need to hop in a Zoom room at 9 a.m. on a Tuesday, which you're like, 
Grant, that's not that early in the morning. You should be able to do a 9 o'clock meeting. Yeah, but that's my leisure time in the morning. It's my eat my eggs and read the newspaper time. I don't need to be Zooming at 9 a.m. on a Tuesday. So streamline, right? Take some cooks out of the kitchen. A little bit more efficient to get your work done. And Maybe that's why players don't like joint practices. That's why Aaron Rodgers doesn't like joint practices, but he seems to be a little bit more pleased with this year. It seems like the Jets are doing some good things and they're not just wasting it and going through the motions. So Rodgers seems to think these practices are worthwhile. You might not care what Aaron Rodgers thinks. You don't really care either. They're doing joint practices. I guess the approval rating of Rodgers isn't the most important thing in the world. I just like understanding what players think. Like, oh, you hate joint practices? Why? I'm curious. I want to know. And I feel like I, I got a good feeling and it seems as though this year's joint practices with the Jets, a little bit more productive. By the end of the show... We got to talk about MVS because I guess he's having a great camp. He, had, he dropped a touchdown today, I read. But also, it's camp. Who can, like, he didn't drop a touchdown. That, it's not a real touchdown. It's a practice rep. But I'm getting pulled into him doing a bunch of good things. And should the Packers get out ahead of this and extend him now? I don't think his value is going to get any lower in the regular season. So maybe from MVS's point of view, it's not wise to sign before the season. For the Packers, if they want to keep him around long term, it might be smart to do it now. I don't know what his price would be like. And I don't know the ceiling on his price. Like, if he goes out and has an amazing year, maybe then teams are a little bit hesitant because they don't want to pay him for his best year. They want to pay him for his average year. And his average years up until this point include a lot of good plays and a lot of bad plays. So maybe that's something we'll discuss with Mike. Probably a story we'll follow, especially if he goes into camp and into the season, still not under contract for next year. That's the storyline that we're going to have to follow because it's not like they have a ton of wide receivers under contract past this season, especially with Devontae Adams. So something worthwhile that... We're no doubt going to follow. Coming up next, I want to get back into the Brewers because I think last night's game was two things. It was a classic that we will remember for months to come, and it showed us why this team, maybe more so than 2018 and 2019, this team's probably built to win at the highest level. We'll talk about that right after hearing from Zach Heilprin with the Wisconsin Sports Zone Network update. I don't know who's calling. I don't have the name on the caller ID. You, like, stop. Like, I can't take your... I'm on the phone with Zach. Stop calling. I don't... I, I will take your call after this interview. Sorry if I'm sounding Are you frustrated. Okay, man? No, I'm not okay. Are you okay. This is where Wisconsin gathers to talk sports. Packers, Brewers, Badgers, Bucks. The Wisco Sports Show is on the air. Here's your host, Grant Bills. I'm just glad the Brewers have been playing so well and winning. So Brewers fandom, we're a content bunch right now. We're not arguing and there's no dissension in the ranks of Brewers fandom because I feel like if the Brewers were in the middle of a losing streak going into last night or they lost, you know, 7 of 10 and then the Brewers win last night and Christian Yelich has that bunt, I feel like today's show is some angry callers calling in and being like, see, told you, need to bunt more. Whereas because the Brewers are winning, we can just kind of enjoy the win. And we don't have to turn this into a a, a symposium on why bunting is good or why bunting is bad. I mean, just to reiterate how I feel about bunting, 99% of the time, I I don't think bunting is a good move. However, you sprinkle them in here and there, or you factor in the new rules where the runner starts at second base, like that changes things a little bit. Christian Yelich dropping a bunt down there, especially with Arenado out, so you don't have that big arm over at third base to turn it. I, I like it. Why not? You already had a two-run lead. See if you can't steal one more. I think you had a one-run lead. That was still in the second. And then Jace Peterson stole it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You get my point. I thought it was a smart, uh, reasonable time to bunt, and it worked out. 
which of course makes it look better after the fact. Hindsight is always twenty twenty. It's the Wisco Sports Show. My name is Grant Bills, and I hope you've had a fantastic day. If I may, not that I'm normally not aggressive. Can I be? Can I be aggressive? And can I be not cocky, but can I give myself a pat on the back here for just a moment? Because I never do that on this show. I got like two hours of sleep last night. I just, I just couldn't sleep. Brewers game had me all amped up, and I was stressed about today. I had a bunch of things to get done, so I just barely slept last night. And I woke up with the worst headache, and I'm like, oh, today's going to be miserable. Oh, my God. I don't know how I'm going to do the show today. And I got some really strong coffee this morning. That perked me up. I listened to some great music, got to work on the show, and I started feeling great. And then this afternoon, I started dragging a little bit. So because I was so productive, I had a little free time. I walked up the street, and I got a nice ice-cold cup of cold brew. So I'm three cups of really strong coffee in today. And I, I, I forgive, but I don't forget. I remember a couple of weeks ago, I had a call from Thomas, who has the smoothest voice ever. You might know the caller I'm talking about. His calls to the show are few and far between. And he called in and was like, Grant, you got to lay off the caffeine, man. Like, take it easy. And I'm pretty sure on this day, the Bucks had just won the title. And I was so amped up. I don't even think I had had caffeine that day because I maybe went a little too hard the night before. So I was trying to drink water like a responsible adult. And Thomas is going to hit me up on the talking text line and tell me to take a pill. My team just won a title. Don't. Do not tell me how much caffeine I can or can't handle. And I just, I want to put that out there. That I barely slept last night and I'm living off coffee. I think I would be a corpse right now without coffee today. I think I've handled it okay. I don't think the show's fallen off the rails. So Thomas, if you're listening, put that in your pipe and smoke it. Put that in your coffee cup and drink it. Thomas. Also, if you'd like to call in, I'd love to connect with you, Thomas. I miss you. It's been a while. 608-796-2558. The talking text line. Tony texts in and says, iron sharpens iron and one man sharpens another. Yes, you're quoting the Bible, Tony. I believe that's Proverbs 2717, just off the top of my head. No, I, I wouldn't have known that. Tony also included that part. Anytime we can quote scripture on the show, I'm all about it. If we can reference Food Network, reference a future song like Married to the Game. We mentioned that that song's only two minutes and nine seconds. Or quote the Bible. It's a good day. We've managed to do all three in the last 48 hours, so I'm a fan. Mad Mike sending in texts. We're talking about pitching and extra innings. I appreciate your contributions. The MVP of the show so far might be Zach uh, on Twitter because he's feeding me the statistics I need to keep going, like team's records in extra innings, which now that I found where Zach found him, this should have been easy to find. It's just on the MLB homepage. Um, I was looking more specifically, and I couldn't find it. Big Joe tweets in at Wisco Grant. How are you, Big Joe? And, of course, he's quoting Major League. Says, Yelich needs Jobu to come take fear from bats, offer him a cigar. You should have had one of Bill Michael's cigars. Maybe that would have warmed up Christian Yelich's bats. He had his cigar dinner in lacrosse earlier this week. I know a couple of you went, like Brett and lacrosse, who I haven't heard from since Monday. Every caller has called this show this week, basically, except Brett and lacrosse. So I'm a little concerned, although he did text in earlier today, putting my... uh putting my mind at ease a little bit. Brent LaCrosse says, problem is teams are on to hater. He's been giving up runs there. Uh, this way, there is a chance to make up for it. And Williams is the reliever of the year last year. I don't know that teams have been getting to hater. I think he had a rough stretch going into the all-star break, but he had such a long layoff. That's tough. I think Williams and, and hater, their, their rhythms have been disrupted this year. Like Williams got a late start and then he's dealing with a little injury. So he's been ramping up kind of behind schedule. And then hater was so great. And then he, didn't get used for such a long period of time. Barely pitched in July. Then he went on COVID. So I think this is all natural ebb and flow. Over the course of a summer, even the best relievers are going to have a bad week here and there. All players are going to have a bad week here and there. 
I think what separates great baseball players from just pretty good is that when Josh Hader goes into a slump or Travis Shaw goes into a slump or Christian Yelich goes into a slump, the great players get out of that slump as quickly as possible, and then they're right back to normal. Whereas baseball, it's it's a different sport. Like, that can break some players. Right? If they go into a three-month slump, some guys just can't bust out of it. That can ruin careers. I hope that's not the case with Keston Hira. He's known as such a good hitter, so I hope that's not the case with him, but like that would be a good comparison. Keston had a slump this year, wasn't able to pull himself out of it. Right, Casey McGee at the end of his Brewers tenure had a really bad slump, could never really pull himself out of it, whereas the greats can pull themselves out. I think Hader and Williams have both done that. Injury reasons, consistency, playing time reasons, whatever they've faced this year, I think both have been able to kind of take it in stride, even if they had hiccups here and there. There's 162 games, right? There's going to be hiccups. Christian Yelich, we're talking about the bunt in the 10th inning last night, and I played the highlight. Here's Christian Yelich talking about that bunt and why it may have been a good idea and why it ended up ultimately working out. You know, I kind of just peeked out of the corner of my eye to see if they were still where they were the whole time, and um, they really were. A little bit more comfortable doing it without Nolan there. He's one of the best third basemans in the game, so kind of saw the opportunity. I messed it up a little. I bunted a little too hard and not really where I wanted to because the fastball was it was like up and in fastball, so I got a little bit too much barrel on it and not as good a direction as I wanted, but um, you know, it worked out. That's small ball execution and extra innings. That's what we like to hear. And normally I'm not about bunting, but every once in a while, every once in a blue moon, you get an opportunity and the chips fall perfectly and Nolan Arenado gets ejected and it's extra innings and you already have a one-run lead. Like, that's the time where maybe, okay, let's try a bunt. And sometimes it works out. It did work out last night. I think last night was a perfect example of why the Brewers are so good this year, even compared to 2018 and 2019. The Brewers have been excellent the last couple of years. So when I say, oh, the Brewers are great this year, well, it's not new. I mean, before the season started, I argue that this is the golden era of Brewers baseball. I don't think the team has ever had a stretch of sustained success quite like this. And you could argue the early 80s, and I look, I wasn't around, so I, I can't speak to it. But in my lifetime, and certainly in the last 30 years, I, I don't know that the Brewers have had a stretch like this. And they might not have another stretch like this for a long time. You just hope that Stearns and Council and company can keep it going and keep this window open, and we get lots of seasons like this and multiple cracks at trying to crack through and make the World Series. I think this team is so much better than the team in 2018 and the team in 2019, because they find ways to win. Last night was a great example. And, of course, the starting pitching is tremendous, which it wasn't. So that's another reason why. That's an easy reason why. Last night gave us a perfect example of how this team can sometimes create ways to win. Because the most damning thing you can say about a sports team is that they find ways to lose. All right? If you say that about a team, it's it's bad. Then you're the New York Jets. The Atlanta Falcons have been one of those teams where it's like, how did they lose this game? They're inventing ways to lose. The Los Angeles Chargers, find ways to lose. You watch the end of Chargers games, you're like, what the heck? Is everyone drunk? Is the coaching staff drunk? You should be able to luck into some of these wins. And the Chargers almost going out of their way to create new ways to lose football games. Same with the Packers and NFC Championship games. There's this laundry list of things that have gone wrong in the last decade. And you're like, what what was it? Fake field goal? Onside kick? Fumbling on the five-yard line? Best wide receivers dropping touchdowns? Like, what, what, what is going on? What is going on? Inventing ways to lose. It's the worst insult that you can lob at any sports team. I've made this joke last hour of the show, but I'll say it again for those of you who are just joining us. Like, saying your team finds ways to lose is like telling your significant other, like, honey, you know, you sound a lot like my mother right now. Oh, boy. You just don't say that, right? 
That's that's about as strong worded as it gets, right? The worst teams find ways to lose. The best teams find ways to win. And the Brewers overcame a lot of factors last night in order to come back and win that game. And that's a great sign for their prospects in the postseason and maybe deep into the postseason, the NLCS and beyond. Let's go to the phones. Brett in lacrosse. Brett, you were the only one we didn't hear from yesterday. What the heck, man? Yeah, I heard. I heard you You missed me pretty hard. So I was like, oh, you know what? I better go out of my way Thank to make, uh, make a call to Grant. Today. I hope I'm not disrupting your night. Am I interrupting something really important? No, I'm, not. I'm, on, I'm okay. on, my way, on my way home from work. Okay, good. What do you think about the Brewers? Um, well, I told you the other day that we're – we're not going to lose a single game to the Cardinals in the next 12 games we play them. You did and predict we haven't a sweep. Yet. You did. You predict a sweep every series, though. This team is so good. Like, you're going to keep cashing if you keep predicting sweeps, which, I, hey, start putting some right. money on it. I mean, start making us some man, money. Give me yeah, a cut. If, if Dave could get me some future bets, that'd be great. That'd yeah. be awesome. Do you know anyone in you Vegas? Know? Punch some tickets? I don't know anybody. I got I got a whole bunch of contacts that are down in Vegas right now. I just need them to go put it on the sport book for me. Well, you need to start calling them and stop calling me because your bold predictions on the Brewers keep paying off. Uh, it's all good. It's all good. Um, so uh, I am obviously going to continue the fact that the Cardinals uh, are going to lose uh, again tonight. Tonight, Woodruff. So Bre- Brewers will win, um, and then yeah, we'll. I don't know. I heard the conversation earlier about the the Williams compared to Hater thing, mm-hmm. and I I texted you, uh, but there was a point here this season, which I mean, there was a point where we weren't very good anyway. But mm-hmm. there was a point where you you didn't know whether you could trust Hater because after a few years now, people are starting to get onto the guy. Uh, I mean, you still there's not much you can do to catch up to the high heat, but still, like. He's been giving up more runs than than he normally has. Not lately, but he has overall this season. Okay, okay, keep going. So I'm listening. The reason that I assume or why I would choose to put Williams after mm-hmm. is it's a change. And if you're going to make a change and try something different, you do it now when you have a, a pretty large lead in the division and you know you're going to make the playoffs you're getting ready for a playoff push mm-hmm. because when it comes around to it, you're going to need multiple options and multiple scenarios that you can go to in the postseason and know that it's going to work. So Williams and Hayter are two completely different pitchers with Hayter being straight power and, and Williams being more finesse, but sure. um, yeah. it, it all kind of depends on who you're facing. Depends on the batters that are coming up. Depends on all of that. So, um, I mean, I don't mind that that Williams. I could Williams being the closer a few times. That's fine. I mean, as long as he gets the job done and he does what he's supposed to do, that that's absolutely fine with me. I don't care what order it is. Yeah. Um, I do also completely agree and understand with the the fact that you may not have a tenth if you don't finish out the ninth, and that's why you put Hater in at that point because maybe you're, it's the heart of the order. You don't get okay. cute. Well, you don't get cute. Well, and one is a righty and one is a lefty. So depending on how the matchups shake out, one inning versus the next, maybe that's something to factor in as well. I have some interesting statistics. Right. You're talking about how hitters are figuring out Josh Hader. That might be a perception. I'm looking at some numbers, and I'm actually, once I let you go, I want to dig into some of these because they're very interesting. Yeah. I do, I, actually, there's some promising numbers, some promising trends, and we'll do that. Before I let you go, Brett, 
What do you think of these new Packer jerseys? Because you're you're an owner, correct? You're, you're I mean, you're as Packers as no, Packers gets. No, I'm I'm not an owner. I want it. If I oh. want to be an owner. So if anybody here listening <laughs> uh, wants to sell a single share, please let me know. I will overpay for that thing. Well, it's good actually that you're not an owner because now I know that there's no conflict of interest and you're not biased at all. What do you think of these new jerseys they dropped today? Oh, ugly as sin. I mean, if we wanted to be the Oregon Ducks, <laughs> uh, we're getting pretty close. Yeah. I mean, I understand. Yeah, it's tradition is from the 1950s, but they always they they always have to put some weird spin on it, and it just looks it's just a little too goofy for me. It is odd. I don't know. Yeah. I I don't know. It's just a little odd because it's. It's such a different dark green and the gold. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't like it. Yeah. I guess we'll see. I mean, maybe we blow somebody out that's really good with them, and then all of a sudden it's everybody's favorite. So. Yeah, they'll look a li- little bit better if they start winning 42-14 to 14 while they're wearing them. I agree. All right, Brad, I got to let right. you go. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that's fine. Yeah. Okay. Thanks for the call, man. I appreciate okay. not after not hearing from you yesterday. Brett and lacrosse, thank you. I didn't know he wasn't an owner. That's even better because now I know his takes aren't tainted ownership takes are tainted yeah I also I think they might look one way in the pictures they might look another way on the field I don't know I'm trying not to have an opinion because they're jerseys like I'm not gonna yell about how they're ugly like they're jerseys it's meant to be fun not trying to get bent out of shape I'm glad that Brett brought up Josh Hader because I he said a couple of things oh they're starting to get to Hader they've seen more of Hader I think our perception of Hader and maybe the struggles that he's had this year is all defined by like a week and a half. And it was going into the all-star break when Cincinnati got to him a couple of times. I think if you take that week out, our perception of Hater is a little bit different. Now, maybe that's not tied to numbers. Maybe that's just tied to the way that we watched and we we observed and, oh, he had that one really bad week, so they must be getting to Hater. I don't know if that's true. Cincinnati has some great firepower. So if that, that offense just gets hot, it might not matter if it's Hater, Williams. I mean, when that offense is going, it's going. I don't know that that's a product of Josh Hater losing a little power or hitters figuring him out. I don't I don't think it's anything like that. The one number that I went immediately to when Brett said he's trending in the wrong direction or hitters are starting to figure him out is home runs. Home runs per nine innings. With what frequency is Josh Hader giving up home runs? Because that was his problem. He was so dominant in 18, so dominant in 19, and then as we ticked a little bit more, you started to see some more home runs here and there. Wasn't giving up a ton of contact. Wasn't wasn't missing a bunch of guys, still striking out a lot of guys, but when guys made contact, a lot of the times it was a home run. So if you look at home runs per nine innings, in 2017, 0. .8. In 2018, 1, even. In 2019, 1.8. Okay, so you see, from 2017 to 2019, Josh Hader added an entire home run onto his home run per nine inning total. And then last year, take a little bit of a step back, 1.4. And this season, 0. .6. This is the lowest total of Josh Hader's career with home runs per nine innings. I think that's really important because when Josh Hader's gotten into trouble, it's been via the home run. So look, if he gets up a single here and there, I'm not that worried about it. If he gives up a walk here and there, I'm not that worried about it. Josh Hader's total walks per nine innings is 3.1. That's lower than any year of his career, excluding 2019, which is maybe his best year of all. So he's walking guys at a lesser frequency, and he's surrendering home runs at a lesser frequency than ever before. If he gives up a single, I almost don't care because I know that chances are he's going to strike out the next guy and probably the next guy. If he can keep the ball in the ballpark and keep the walks to a minimum and force the hitters to get singles, to put the ball in play, he's going to be successful. He still hides the ball very well, 
And guys might have seen him a bunch. Okay, go ahead. Good luck. Have a good time anyways. Oh, you've seen him pitch a bunch? Here, do with 97 right down the pipe, and you don't even see it until it's halfway home because he hides it so well, and his delivery is, is so nasty. His location isn't as precise as Devin Williams or Corbin Burns. He just, he comes at you in such a way it makes it impossible to hit. So if he can keep those home run numbers low, which they are, lowest of his career, and the walks are really, really darn low. The only year he's, he's walked fewer hitters was uh, 2019. We're in a good spot with Hater. So what if he gives up a single? He'll strike out the next couple of guys. I'm not too worried about it. Thank you for bringing that up, Brett, because I think that was some important info to get. Let's take a break. We'll hear from Craig Council and Yelich about last night and then hopefully get connected with Mike Clements, our Green Bay Packer insider from training camp. That would be at 535. Stick around. This is the Wisco Sports Show with Grant Bills on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Rolling on, going to get to the Packers in about 10 minutes with Mike Clements. I feel like a total doofus. Uh, I thought I texted Mike, and I was like, hey, good for 535. I don't really like to check in with guests day of, just to make sure. Right, because things come up, people forget. I I get it. And I'm like, I haven't heard back from Mike yet. That's concerning. And I realized I did not press send on the text. (laughs) So I have reached out to Mike. I'm now less concerned. We'll hopefully talk to him in about 10 minutes. Live from Green Bay. A lot went on. There was a fight at practice today. There were some injuries and some scrimmages and a lot to get to. And it looks like Kirk Benkert is going to get a majority of the playing time on Saturday. So naturally, you got to talk about that. Are you kidding me? couple of texts to get to, including this text. I don't, I don't know what to say to this, but I love this text. Fox 25 is proud to be the home of Minnesota Vikings preseason football. What's that all about? Hunting poodle guy. Is that, is that, is that the name that you want me to save you as hunting poodle guy? For, I love it. I just want to make sure. I'm a little taken aback. Once again, I love it. It's out of the box. It's clever. It's unique. People aren't going to forget it. I, so, do you sell hunting poodles, or are you just a big poodle guy? Do you breed them? You, maybe you're not connected to poodles at all. You just you think it's a cool name. I don't know. I don't do a lot of hunting anymore. I grew up. I did some deer hunting. Now I just don't have time. And like, what am I going to do with a deer? I'm not going to hang it. I don't really have a garage. I don't think. Now, if I lived out in the country and I could hang it in a tree in my front yard, maybe a different conversation. I also kind of feel bad. Deer are big. They're pretty animals. I don't know. Now, the one kind of hunting I do do is I like to hunt grouse. It's nice. You take a nice stroll through the, the field or the woods on a beautiful fall afternoon. Can you use poodles to hunt grouse? I, I want to tap into your knowledge here because I feel like if this is your name that you're giving me, that this is a, a question that, that you could answer. Can you use poodles to hunt grouse? Because if so, maybe I got to get a poodle. I know they're very smart, very stubborn, very smart. I know people use them to like hunt ducks and I think doves too. Not sure about grouse. Mitch and Madison says verb stock is the future. What is going on on the talk and text line? We're talking about the brewers. I mean, we're talking about hunting poodles now and stocks. Although Mitch and Madison, please, your stock tips. Because if there's one thing I love, it's fi- financial responsibility. Saving my money and being responsible. Yeah. That's for sure. That's my favorite thing to talk about. That's the life I live. Couple of cuts I wanted to play. First, Craig Council getting thrown out just because I think it's awesome and I wanted his thoughts on it. Yeah, I mean, it was it, it was just a tough zone tonight. Um, you know, what, what can you say? It was, it was a tough zone. Uh, and and it, just, it, it got to the point where 
you could almost see the umpire second guessing himself. And that that's when it gets frustrating for the guys. I love when managers get thrown out. I think it's the great. I've really gained an appreciation for this over the last couple of months. When I get really bored, I like watching compilations of managers and umpires yelling. Managers are, they're insane. They're psychopaths. They're insane people. They're not like you and me. The way that they get out there and the things that they say and the way that they're wired to just lose it over the smallest things, it's incredible. Imagine an alien coming to this planet and you're going to the brewery game and the alien's sitting next to you and it's your job to explain everything. All right, this makes sense. You hit the ball out of the ballpark. That's a run, single, double, strikeout, three balls, two strikes. That makes sense, full count. The one thing that I don't think you could explain is the whole manager comes out of the dugout to yell, gets thrown out, then yells more and kicks the dirt and then just leaves. Like, that, that makes no sense. So imagine the, the question you'd be asked. Okay, so he's upset, so he's going to come and tell the umpire? Yep, just going to let him know. Well, is the umpire going to change his mind? Nope. Zero chance. Not, not a chance. It won't affect anything in the game. So wait, oh, did he just get thrown out of the game? Yep. Yep, he did. But he's not leaving. Nope. Nope, he's going to keep yelling for a little while longer. Is he, is he kicking dirt on the plate? What is he doing? Yeah, I, baseball managers, man. I don't know. I want to take an alien to a baseball game. I think it would be funny. Managers are not like you and me. They're wired differently, and I love it. I want to talk a little bit about Christian Yelich before we talk to Mike. Christian Yelich, feeling better at the plate, yes or no? Uh, I think a little. I mean, it's just it's how baseball goes. You know, you just keep chipping away, and you keep, um, you know, battling with it and putting the work in. And, um, you know, baseball is one of those sports where just because you put the work in doesn't mean you're guaranteed results. You just got to keep going out there, keep competing, and, um, you know, just – try and contribute to helping the team win, you know, and then it starts changing that way. You start just doing things to, to help the team win. And that's your focus. And, um, you know, I've been, I've been feeling a little better personally, but um, my goal really every night is to try and do something that helps us win a game. Wait, 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 wait. What, what, didn't we talk about this yesterday? We talk about, talked about this yesterday. Craig Council echoing that same sentiment. The speed is, it's like nobody else's sometimes, you know, you see it, you see the difference that his speed can make and, you know, it was a great idea on his part. You know, he got a pitch, could do it, and put a bunt in fair territory and um, turned out to be a huge play and then took advantage of a mistake and scored all the way from first, like probably one our only guy that can do it. So it's another way, way he can beat somebody, uh, and he used him tonight. Oh, so even if Christian Yelich isn't hitting home runs and his stats don't look like the last couple of years, you're telling me that he can still impact this team and play a huge role? That's interesting. Where did I hear that? There was some radio host... Oh, I can't remember. Somebody, I, I was listening to a show, and the radio host was talking about this yesterday. Oh, wait, that was me. That's right. Interesting how that played out. His base running is nuts. The way he can fly around the bases, and I know it sounds dumb. Oh, he's fast. It's not just speed. It's like the precision that he rounds the bases. You just buy yourself extra time here and there, and that makes the difference on getting a home on a ball that's just a single by Jace Peterson that's just kicked around in the outfield for a couple of seconds. We were ahead. We were ahead of this take. We were like six hours ahead of this take on yesterday's show. Let's take a break. Get connected with Mike Clements live from Green Bay to talk a little Packers and get updated on what went down at training camp today. That's coming up next. This is the Wisco Sports Show with Grant Bills on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Wisco Sports Show. Appreciate you hanging out. My name is Grant Bills. We've talked a ton about the Brewers today. 27 over 500, now nine and a half up in the division over the Reds. An awesome classic win last night. We'll probably remember that at the end of the year in extra innings. 
If you missed out on all that and you're just joining, you're like, dang, I wanted to hear Brewer's conversation, it'll be in the podcast. I'll get that posted right after 6 o'clock. A lot of good things on Hater and Williams and Yelich and extra innings. A lot of juicy stuff and some really good calls, too. Some good points brought up by Brett and by Nick and Richie. So that'll be in the podcast right now. Talk a little Packers with Mike Clements, who is in Green Bay. Mike, I was on vacation last week. I really missed our conversation, so I'm glad to be back, and I'm glad that we can uh, talk a little Packers. It seemed like a wild day at camp today. It was, um, and it started with, um, you know, this is kind of interesting that uh, Lucas Patrick, who played right guard, you know, when Lane Taylor went down last year, Mm -hmm. uh, you thought he was going to come in and secure the job. Now they uh, drafted Royce Newman, who's a big kid, six foot five. And you know, the Packers always seem to want to get bigger and bigger on the offensive line. They got a six foot five center now, you know, and Josh Myers. So uh, we asked Lafleur. Uh, well, first of all, we uh, we talked about the quarterback situation. Jordan Love uh, not going to practice again today with a shoulder injury he suffered against the Texans just before the end of the first half. And we asked Lafleur today if Jordan Love is going to play against the Jets Saturday afternoon? I don't want to rule him out yet, but uh, I would say it's probably unlikely. Unlikely. Okay. So probably not. We're going to see a lot of Kirk Benkert. That kind of stinks. I don't know if I'm able for that. (laughs) So on offensive line, though, um, it's Royce Nerman that's now been going in at right guard. You know, the other thing, though, too, is if Lucas Patrick had a bad game against the Texans, then you're making the, the veteran think. Mm-hmm. And also, it's August. I mean, if a guard goes down, then um, the rookie, Royce, is getting all these snaps so that you know he, he, he can be ready if he has to jump in there sometime during the regular season. So that might be going on as well. Um, there's some injuries that the Packers have been dealing with, like Dennis Kelly, mm-hmm. the veteran tackle they brought in from the Titans. I saw this happen yesterday at the bottom of the pile. He came up holding his knee. He had ice on it uh, after practice, and uh, he did not practice today. Devin Funches, who's looked good uh, in camp, catching balls over the middle, um, he's dealing with a hamstring injury. He had to get carted off the field. And Tyler Lancaster, the defensive lineman, um, he's been dealing with an elbow injury. But nothing tops what happened to the Jets today. My gosh, they had to have timeouts for injuries all over the field. The biggest one was Carl Lawson. This is the you know the free agent that they got from the Bengals. This guy was going to be their lead dog, sort of their Zadarius Smith yeah. when it came to the pass rush defensive end. They're running a, a red zone today, and he comes up, and he won't get off the ground, and he's in, clearly in pain. A torn Achilles, done for the year, done for the year. And then they also had a safety, too, that uh, suffered uh, a knee injury today. Uh, toward an ACL and uh, or an MCL uh, and Zane Lewis, he, he's already been determined this afternoon that his season is over with. And the defensive tackle from the Jets had a knee. Sheldon Rankins and Denzel Zims, one of their wide receivers, uh, had to leave the practice with a hip. So that means the Jets get all banged up at this joint practice today. Pretty amazing. Yeah, that's brutal. I Before we get into some of these cuts, I see Kirk Benkert, and we're going to talk quarterbacks and wide receivers, it looks like. I want to ask you, because you brought up Royce Newman and Josh Myers, and and they're getting bigger. Do you think there's a conscious effort from Gutekunst and Lafleur, especially now, maybe going away from what they did with McCarthy, which is maybe thinner, faster, more agile offensive linemen? Do you think they want to get beefier? I think Bill Michaels, who show, you know, you're on as well, and you've been on him with a long time, he always used the term road graders. Are they trying to get more 
road grader-ish up front? Or, or do you think that's just a coincidence that they've drafted some size? No, I I just I just think there's some sort of an intimidation factor there that I can't quite figure because, to me, they're still doing combination blocks and okay. zone kinds of blocking, which requires more uh, quickness and reaction, particularly downfield, than to just you know be power drive guys. Sure. But you know they still talk about that they need one cut out of Aaron Jones, one cut out of A.J. Dillon, those kinds of things. So that means it's got to be a, a quicker group. But whatever the case, though, they they seem to just want to get bigger whenever they can on the offensive line. Maybe that's a a Matt Lafleur thing. But like you know, you bring in Dennis Kelly. That guy's six eight. Yeah, he's six eight. So you know, the most important part is though, a can you block, and b most importantly, can you pass protect? So that means though, you know, with Jordan Love, looks like I mean, not practicing all week, um, he's going to miss this Jets game. That's just. That's devastating because he's going to be sitting on the bench all year while Aaron Rodgers is out there. So Kurt Benkert, the guy that had spent a couple of years with the Falcons, uh, now comes into this game knowing he's not just going to play three or four series. He's going to play three or four quarters. And what is that? how does that change his mindset going into the game? Yeah, I think so. I mean, knowing that you're going to get a chance to get into a rhythm, and um, I, I don't know. I think... I'm always ready to play, like I keep saying, but I think just knowing that you're going to have more opportunities, like you don't have to be as aggressive. I'm not like the bottom barrel guy trying to just make plays so they see me. Um, it's more of a take care of the football, march the offense, operate, and make sure guys are in the right spots doing the right thing. So it's a little bit of a different approach, but still trying to take care of the football. I don't think Jordan Love would ever admit it, and I don't think Ben Kurt would ever acknowledge this either, but the mindset and the role that Ben Kurt and Love play and the difference between the two, it's huge, right? Ben Kurt is the third guy. He's kind of the funny guy. No expectations, can come in and fire. And Jordan Love's been the number one story on ESPN leading shows for like the last year and a half. It kind of cracks me up the differences in the roles and in the situations between these two. The one thing about Kurt Benkert uh, is that he's super smart, super quick. Yeah. 250,000 followers on social media because he's a video game whiz. People want to match him and play him uh, video games online. Um, and, you know, he in that game against the Texans, he came out there and slinging it. Yeah. And that's kind of been his deals is a high-energy thing. Now, when he got to the Atlanta Falcons, Greg Knapp was his quarterback coach, and he, he tried to, like, settle down. Look, you, you're really smart. You're really quick. But this is more about finding a rhythm, getting 11 guys in the offense on a rhythm. So then Greg Knapp then gets picked up. Uh, by Robert Sala as the head coach of the Jets, and he's going to become the new passing game coordinator under Mike LaFleur, Matt's brother, the offensive coordinator. And so last month, Greg is out riding his bike in their hometown in California. He's married, three daughters, and he gets hit by uh, a woman driving a car. He he struggles for about 10 days and dies uh, from the injuries. It just wiped out, you know, people that that, uh, when Benker was with the Falcons, now with the Jets organization, we asked Kurt what his relationship was like with Greg Knapp. Yeah, well, I spent a lot of time with him. I spent probably more time with him in three years than anybody, uh, including my wife. Like, we were sun up to sundown. He was always, like, I mean, keeping me after doing extra stuff. Um, and he really invested, like, into the third guy that wasn't even seeing the field. Like, I wasn't even close to seeing the field with Matt Ryan and Matt Schaub. And he made sure that I was just as important, like, to develop as it was to get number two ready for game day. Um, but I mean, I attribute a lot of like my success and coming out of college, I was just like the gunslinger, just trying to make plays. and I didn't really play super clean. 
I think he helped me blend my game a little more towards, hey, this is how you play quarterback in the NFL, and then you can also mold your skill set around that. But this is like the base of what you need to know to be successful. And I attribute a lot of my success to him. So obviously that was really tough. I was talking to him that morning um, about this practice that we were supposed to have with him. And uh, it was tough. It was tough. Hey man, there's been some tragic stories in Wisconsin sports, like Howard Moore or Coach Moore with uh, the Badgers and tragedy. Mm-hmm. It just seems that sports kind of strengthen people around each other. And I didn't know anything about this Kirk Benkert story. And I don't, I don't know. I think players with, with maybe bumpy rides, they seem to be strengthened by it. And everybody seems to really like the personality of Kirk Benkert. He seems to be kind of an infectious character. That's probably part of it. You never know, you know. I mean, you know, just ask Kurt Warner what his journey was like, right? Yeah. So, um, Zach Wilson, man, this kid's a rock star. Fun to watch, fun to talk to. I got to talk to him today after practice because he's out signing autographs and taking selfies with Jets fans outside the visitors' locker room. And he threw a beautiful ball down the middle to Braxton Berrios, one of his wide receivers, mm-hmm. and the Packers rookie Shamar John Charles. I don't know what he's thinking, man. He let the guy get him behind him by about five steps or so and so zach wilson says you know he's been talking to aaron Rodgers, and zach says you know he's he's been watching Rodgers, but he's got to resist the temptation to get into the audible game like number 12 yeah it's hard right it's like it's like i want to do what he's doing but when you when you got 16 years of experience and and the checks and calls he's making on the field you the coaches first of all don't want me to do that right it's just too much on (laughs) on someone's plate and there's not many guys I'd say in the league that can do what he's doing out there as far as just seeing what's going on changing plays but I'd say the biggest thing I picked up is two minute drill just how calm and and collected he is you know he's kind of just out there you know almost kind of like he's just messing around like playing backyard football he's having a good time and uh, and he makes it and he makes it work we're talking with Mike Clements who's in Green Bay you know what's funny is Zach Wilson needs a little bit of that run and gun loose style of play too because that was his thing at BYU he's not a I don't know. He's not Jared Goff. Like, they expect him to sling it a little bit. So maybe it's good for him to be around Rodgers, even though he doesn't seem to want to admit it. And that explains it, too. He had a couple of his best plays was when he extended a play and moved out into the flats and and was looking downfield, taking shots. So on the other side of the coin, I've probably spent too much time talking about Jordan Love and Kurt Benkirk and those guys. Mm -hmm. You know what's going to get the Packers to the next level in the Super Bowl is better defense. And that starts with, like, at the corners with Eric Stokes, the rookie. And we talked to Devontae Adams, who's been, you know, scorching this guy the first two weeks of camp. Is Eric Stokes getting any better? And Devontae says he kind of reminds him of a young Jair Alexander. He's the closest thing to Jair as far as mentality and ability is from what I've seen so far. I mean, kid is fast as hell. He can, he can get beat and recover kind of like how Sam Shields would do. Uh, my rookie year, I got Sam on. Another play stood out to me. I got Sam on like a inside release or a, um, a faked inside, and he went in baseball turn and spun around, and I actually took off way too wide. But I'm thinking I'm wide open. I'm like, this ball is on the way. I turn back, and Sam is on his, on my hip right there. Like, where the hell are you going? <laughs> I'm right right here. So um, I see the same thing from him. He actually made a really good play on me two two or three days ago. We had a um, kind of like a comeback route on the on the left sideline. And he made a really good play. He was real patient at the top. So I like what I see from him. Um, a lot of the same of what, like I said, mentality of Jair came to me after one of the practices and was like, keep getting me better, bro. Like, I appreciate this. I know you're getting after me, but it's, it almost gave me the vibe of, like, he was saying, like, I can play now. Like, I know I just haven't really played with you guys like that yet. And you are, you are two of the best in the business. And Matt reminds him of that, too, to keep his confidence high. But 
Um, he, he can really go, so I'm excited to see how it looks uh, when we really open this thing up. Two things. Number one, I agree with you that this is going to be about the defense. I said that yesterday or the day before. I'm like, look, we talk about Jordan Love and all these guys, but the problem has been the defense the last 10 years. That's going to be the difference this year as well. Hopefully it's a difference in a good way. Also with uh, with Eric Stokes, the, the book was he's got the speed, he's got the size, he's got all the tools. He just needs to start to put it together. I love that he gets to train with Jair Alexander and against Devontae Adams. That's got to be an environment that sets him up to succeed. Doesn't get much better than that, and Aaron Rodgers back there throwing it, right? Yeah, exactly. So so then they make the change at defensive coordinator, Joe Barry, much more personable guy. And I asked J.D. Amos, okay, here you are. This is your third year in Green Bay, new defensive coordinator. Uh, you know, you keep adding to defense, including Eric Stokes. And there's an ample supply of snacks. <laughs> I said, you know, it, 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 how does this defense in this camp compare to the first two years in Green Bay? You know, I, I think this is, you know, one of our, you know, uh, more talented secondary is very competitive. We have a lot of guys that can go. You know, there, there's not too many people that I'm, I'm worried about if they have to go in the game. And that's where we have, you know, that standard. We have that standard in the locker room. We have some, you know, good rookies. They bring in good snacks. So, um I got to go check and make sure my pistachio is still in there since y'all like that. <laughs> but, yeah, everybody, everybody's in there competing. A lot of us have played a lot of ball. And then uh, the young guys are willing to listen. That's, that's a big thing when you're coming in as a rookie, um, being coachable, being able to listen, being able to learn without even anybody telling you. you just, you know, um, you know taking them vicarious reps and, and taking those, you know, mental notes and everything like that when somebody else is getting coached. That's just rubbing off on everybody in the, in the secondary. Man, I don't know much about Joe Barry. I was impressed the way he talked and talked and talked when they first got him. But I guess being more personal will be more approachable. Maybe that's just that's, – that's, maybe that's the approach that works because the last two defensive coordinators, whatever they were doing, it just didn't seem to click. And they're moving on in terms of personnel. Josh Jackson, overall disappointment. He goes from starting 10 games his rookie season to being inactive last December in the playoffs even though he was healthy. So they traded him the other day because he just didn't seem to ever quite get it in fundamentals. I mean, one minute he'd make a big play, and the next minute he's tugging on receivers and drawn a pass interference flag. So they bring in from the Giants in that trade Isaac Yadam. Now, he's a third-round pick for the Broncos. The Broncos traded him to New York. New York trades this guy to Green Bay. And, you know, we asked him, you're a third-round pick. Are you kind of frustrated at this point in your career? You're not a starter yet? I don't really look at it as I'm a third round pick. I gotta meet this expectation. I gotta do this. I just, I just try to meet Ike's expectations. You know what I mean? Like I just try to do what I gotta do, and that's getting better every single day. And I mean, it's not like it hasn't panned out or hasn't worked out. I don't see it like that. At the end of the day, I think I'm getting better every day. So that's all that matters to me. And I'm in a great place, Green Bay, and I'm ready to play. So I'm gonna help my team out here. Mike, we're talking with Mike Clements. Maybe he gets cut and this doesn't matter, but I think that answer kind of highlights the difference in the way that players see these things and maybe fans and execs do. Like, oh, he's a third-round pick. He's supposed to be this good. Maybe players don't approach it that way, and that seems to be a good bit of perspective. Maybe he gets cut and it doesn't matter, but I like hearing that. Yeah, and I also just think it probably changes the room. You know, if Josh is not going to get any – if Jax is not going to get any better, then get him out of the room, bring in some fresh guy, maybe with some veteran experience, maybe he can help you out on special teams. And so then uh, yesterday we talked to Aaron Rodgers, and, you know, he talked about, I don't know what's going to happen after this season. I'm focused on this one, et cetera. And I, so I said to him, Aaron, you know, I, I've known you here since you came here in 2005. 
all this past spring, the, the indecision whether or not he was going to come back, much like Favre. And I said, yeah, every time they talk about Aaron Rodgers on TV, it's, oh, don't cross Aaron because, you know, he, he holds a grudge, man. Mm-hmm. That's his motivation. That's his chip on the shoulder. You don't, you don't ever. And I said, so does this go back to that 60-minute story where they talked to Greg Jennings and Clay Matthews about, oh, Aaron's really kind of thin skin. I, I, I said, is it true that revenge is your motivation? Does it come from that 60-minute story? And is it true? Do you, use, do you use revenge for motivation? It's never been about revenge. It's about a reckoning. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. What is he quoting? Is he quoting something? I'm not the biggest movie guy in the world. First of all, I love that. Uh, it's an, you know, it's another one of his flicks that he plays over and over again. Uh, Tombstone. It's oh. from the movie Tombstone. I know my John Doc Wayne's. Doc Holliday okay. and those guys. This is one I yeah. don't know. God, it, I appreciate that he enjoys the dramaticism or the dramatism of a press conference because it all it is just for show. I'm glad he has fun with it. And it goes viral on your Twitter account yeah, as course. well. So, you know. That doesn't hurt. <laughs> Well, am I supposed to be excited, by the way, before I let you go, like preseason this weekend? If it's Kirk Benkert and not Jordan Love, give me give me homework. What am I supposed to watch for? What am I supposed to get excited about? I'll tell you, brother, I stopped watching offense uh, today because <laughs> okay. you know what? Aaron Rodgers is back, and we need to stop talking about Jordan Love, and we need to start focusing on this defense. So I'm going to look at Eric Stokes, and I'm going to look at this you know, third-string Jonathan Garvin guy who flashes sometimes. I'm going to ask, start asking questions. Says, where the hell is Darius Smith standing on the sidelines with the alleged back injury? And you know, and the, most of the players wear these green wristbands where they hold their COVID tracers on. Mm-hmm. He has on a yellow wristband for his COVID tracer, and I've been told that's for people that have not been vaccinated. So I don't know what's going on. But Darius, we're three weeks into camp, and Darius Smith is not on the field, and we need to find out why. So it's defense. With the new defensive coordinator, Joe Barry, they really now should be in the spotlight if the Packers are going to get back into winning the division, into the playoffs, and get to the Super Bowl in L.A. this year. I needed that, Mike. I needed that homework assignment. I feel rejuvenated, and I feel motivated to watch this weekend. Now, it was good to connect with you. Thanks, Mike. Thank you, Grant. Appreciate it, pal. Yeah, have a good week. Mike Clements in Green Bay, our embedded Packers reporter. Let's take a break. I do want to talk about that quick defensive homework thing that he gave us because I think that's a good way to wrap up the show. we got to take this break. I'll be back in a few minutes. Final segment of the Wisco Sports Show. Come. This is the Wisco Sports Show with Grant Bills on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Final segment, Wisco Sports Show. My name is Grant Bills. Appreciate Mike Clements sending us some audio, letting us hear from some players, telling some stories, and giving me a much-needed homework assignment this weekend, because I'm not going to lie. man, I'm more excited to watch Zach Wilson and the Jets than I am the Packers. I'm going to be completely honest. But I think an important message and a message that kind of vibes with what we've talked about so far this week, yeah, it's fun to talk about Jordan Love, or it's easy. I don't know if it's fun. It's easy to talk about Jordan Love. We got to start thinking about the defense because that's what the mission has been for, I don't know, 10 years, certainly since 2014. That's what we got to pay attention to. So let's watch uh, TJ Slayton, Eric Stokes, whatever linebackers they roll out there. 
I'm excited to watch Zach Wilson, too. I needed that homework assignment. I feel ready. I feel locked in now. Actually, like, I have a reason to watch this weekend, which, without Jordan Love, I, I don't know. Uh, quick update before we go. Hunting Poodle Guy has chimed back in. Uh, poodles are outstanding upland bird dogs. Very good at grouse, hunting, pheasant, and quail as well. The more you know. I knew they were good with doves, and I'm not sure about ducks. Not sure. If, I'm sure poodles can swim. I don't know. I, I'm going to do some research about this tonight. I do like upland hunting. I feel like I should feel like I should know more. Thank you, hunting poodle guy. Thank you for listening, and thanks for the text. Tomorrow, same time, same place, we'll wrap up the week here on the Wisco Sports Show. Talk to you then. I just want to see.